Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the refashion venture story with my friend Brian Awe. How's it going, Brian? Good, good. How are you doing, Joe? Excellent, excellent. So, Brian, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. So, my name is Brian Awe. My company is Refashioned Ventures, and I'm calling from a town called Elmont. We're just outside of New York City. Very, very nice. So what does Refashion do? And you, you also have to tell us about that title or the name Refashion Ventures. <laughs> <laughs> so Refashion Ventures is a venture fund. It's an early stage venture fund. And what we do is we raise capital from investors who don't want to do the difficult work of sourcing startups and investing in them directly themselves. And on their behalf, we look for startups and we invest in them. I think the thing that makes us unique is that our thesis is around the refashioning, the transformation, the reinvention of supply chains and supply chains across the board, which of course includes uh, logistics. Um, so that's what we that's what we we do. The other question was how we came up with the name. So the name Refashioned is actually the brainchild of my partner, Lisa. And Lisa, before I met her, was thinking about about innovation in the fashion and apparel a supply chain. And a light bulb went off in her mind, and she said to herself, she was talking with a friend. And they said, you know, supply chains in the fashion industry are broken. And they need to be refashioned. And ah. when I and 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 when I met her, we were talking about about supply chains broadly in any industry in any part of the world. And we said, well, that's true about all about all supply chains in any industry. Right. And so we decided we decided we'd keep we'd keep the name. So we've moved from you know originally when she was doing this before she met me, her focus was on fashion and apparel. To now we invest across across industries. And you invest in logistics and supply chain stuff, right? Yes. So the way we think about it is that the opportunity is really not just in, in logistics. Of course, logistics is the linchpin of what happens in supply chains. And so you can't be a supply chain fund without investing in, in logistics. But we think, you know, the, the opportunity extends into sourcing and procurement. We think it extends even beyond that into how you formulate new products. So one of the startups that we've invested in, which I think might take some people a little bit by surprise is a a company it's a machine learning uh, platform that enables people in the chemicals industry to formulate new products more quickly all right no i think that's the part of the supply chain and you know it's interest it's it's interesting i i'm from automotive and i'd say automotive is the biggest baddest supply chain on earth yes and i worked in engineering and product development product my whole life not so much manufacturing although i'd spent a lot of time in plants the supply chain that you know the automotive companies i think they spend five percent of revenue on logistics so the big dog the, the dog itself is the supply chain 
logistics is the tail. So, yes. and, and I do think, and I'm sure we'll get in, maybe touch on this a little bit, but the innovation is between the boulders. So when somebody says, Hey, this is the way we do manufacturing. This is the way we do product development. The opportunity is in that in between those two organizations. It's in between those two organizations. And, and, and you raise a great point. I, I taught a, um, an introduction to supply chain and operations management course at uh, the engineering school at NYU in the pandemic semester, you know, the, the nice. spring, the spring of 2020, which we can talk about that another time. But it was it was an amazing time to be teaching the course to my students. It was the first time I taught a college level course because we were talking about supply chains and operations in class. And all around us, because of the pandemic, supply chains were breaking down. Right. <laughs> you know, it was, it could, I couldn't have asked. I couldn't have asked for a better time to be teaching the course. But in one of in one of the lectures, we we talked about you know if you wanted to improve the profit margins of a company, what should should you do? And there were two broad strategies we talked about. So one was a marketing and an advertising sales and marketing approach where you invest in more marketing and more sales. And the other was improve your supply chain and operations. And the conclusion we came to was that probably focusing on supply chain and operations consistently will yield the better results. And the reason is that for any company, you know, the percent of, of revenue that is eaten up by supply chain and operations goes anywhere from 80% in oil and gas to 30% in restaurants. And so if you can reduce, if, you, if through innovation, you can reduce that, go straight to the bottom line. And, and you're right. Whereas if you do sales and marketing, you know, you have to hire more people, you have to do more manufacturing, right? So I've, I've said it before on my podcast, but I think it's a, a good example. If we're thinking so let's just say 50 years ago in, in, I'm in Michigan. Uh, if I was in automotive, my suppliers were all within the Midwest for the most part. Yes. We didn't, we didn't do a lot of business with China and we didn't do a lot of business with Mexico or India or, or Europe for that matter. And I would have needed a good, a whole bunch of good trucking companies to pick stuff up at my suppliers and bring it to somewhere in the Midwest where we could build it. And we might have something in Atlanta, we might have something out West, but for the most part, we are in the Midwest. Now, flash forward to today, it's different. Now I have, so if I say I, I need a few good trucking companies, well, yeah, in addition to a whole bunch in of good freight forwarders, <laughs> right? In addition to a lot of good freight forwarders, Freight yes. forwarders, but then that brings in, when you're bringing something, you can't do just in time from China to a U.S. Right. plant because there's too much gap. So it brings in warehousing. And then we say we need technology. So all of a sudden, this is an explosion. So even though we say the logistics is the tail, it all of a sudden became so uh, important because of the changes in the industry. Yes. Supply chains ask more of us. <laughs> yes. So supply chains ask more, uh, more of us. And, and, and you've, you've raised another interesting point, which I think is becoming... Companies could ignore maybe up till not so long ago, but they can't anymore. So because manufacturing is so dispersed in so many different places and because the, the manufacturing supply chain has become so complex, 
it's usually the case that the Fords of the world don't really have a clear understanding of what's happening at the very bottom tiers of their of their of their of their of their, of their, of their, of their supply chain, right? And so the idea of of visibility in the supply chain, not just visibility of goods in transit. But, vi- but visibility in terms of what's the state of affairs at every tier of your suppliers is 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 important. That 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 insight led us to invest in a company out of Singapore that's that's expanding into the United States. I I I, I think it's 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 an exciting time. <laughs> it's an exciting time to be investing in supply chain. So Brian, we just jumped right into it, didn't we? So before we, <laughs> yes, we before did. we get into that, I'll tell us a little bit about you. So you got that name Brian Awe, which uh what is so that's a nice Polish name. I think you <laughs> got that New York accent. So <laughs> So I, I I come from Ghana. I, I grew up in Nigeria in the United States in '97 to go to college. Where'd you go to college? I, I went to Connecticut College in New London. Studied I studied math and physics for my first degree. Very nice. Now, so you grew up in Nigeria or you grew up in Ghana? Actually, I grew up in both. So, was born in Ghana. Then my dad and my mom moved to Nigeria. So, I did my elementary education there, and then they decided. You know, I needed to to know my family, know my culture, and so I did my set my secondary school, the equivalent of high school in Ghana. Then, once I was finished with high school, for a number of reasons, I decided I didn't want to go to university immediately in Ghana, and so I I took a job as an accountant. And then I discovered that there were classmates of mine who were coming to the United States on financial aid and were studying in the States. And so I thought, well, if they can do it, maybe I can do it too. So what was your first impressions of coming here? So you came here in 1997? In 97, yes. To Connecticut. To, 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 <laughs> I, came to, I came to Connecticut. So I was surprised by the abundance, by the abundance of almost everything. Uh, you know, so at, at the college, you know, equipment the dormitories were amazing I, it's it was yeah that's the that's the easiest that's the easiest way to that's the easiest way to explain it i came from an environment where you know resources are scarce things are scarce supply chains don't function the way that you expect them to to an environment in which you know things just things just work what was surprised you? I mean, you must have seen some some of the United States online or on TV. What did you expect versus what did you see when you got to Connecticut? I think the the thing that really took me by surprise, and this one, the, this is one that I remember because I remember being shocked. But yes, I had seen on TV that you know winter is a thing and snow is a thing. And <laughs> you didn't know how bad it was. <laughs> I remember the first time I woke up in my dorm room. And and opened the curtains and there was snow outside. I was in complete shock. Yeah, it seemed nice enough when you're looking. Isn't that beautiful? Not when you go outside. It's yeah, yeah. And, and 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 then the cold. Um, I, I, it's interesting we're talking about this because one of the colleges, I think, I applied to Colgate in upstate New York, and I applied to Carlton in 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 Minneapolis. Oh, and boy. of course, I, I hadn't visited, so I had no idea what. And eventually, I was like, "Thank God, thank God, I didn't wind up in one of those other places because I don't know if I would have survived." 
if you've ever flown through Minneapolis, or gone to Minneapolis, one of the things I noticed, there's a lot of Africans there and people who move from Africa. And one of the things I, I was uh, at the airport and all of the uh, people who were working at the rental car were from Africa. And I said, what were you what, thinking? What, what were you thinking? <laughs> I have an uncle. He's 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 now deceased, but he did his PhD at the University of Minnesota. I, I was what, what were you what were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> I was just we we just had this conversation off before we hit record. But I interviewed Felix Asari, and and he he was going to school I think in North Dakota, and then and then he moved to Minneapolis, and then. Yeah. He finally just moved to Austin. He goes, Austin is a lot more it's, like it's what I'm like I think he's from he's from Ghana. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Felix Asari, that's a Ghanaian name. So tell me a little bit more about your education. So I, I studied math and physics at uh, Connecticut College. Uh, and I joke that I settled on math and physics because I couldn't keep up with computer science. <laughs> the, the, the funny story there is that I had never used a computer when I when I arrived on campus, but I'm not going to get into all the details. I really wanted to study computer science because I thought artificial intelligence was going to be big. And I thought virtual reality was going to be big. And I thought that from reading the course catalog when I was at home, before I even arrived on campus, but getting through the first two programming courses without having used a computer before I got to campus was really. And so I decided to settle on math and physics. Well, those are still pretty hard courses. Once you know math and physics, you can do most of anything else. So, So give me some career highlights after you got out of school. So I got out of school, decided what could be more exciting than studying to become an actuary and working in the actuarial field. And then I discovered just how difficult it is to pass the exams <laughs> you're, you're, you're laughing as if you're in on the joke no i I have, a, I have a friend who's an attorney and he was at one of the big six accounting firms and he said we just hired a whole bunch of actuaries and and i said oh that's good i guess and he goes and he goes and the big joke is that the lawyers and the accountants hired actuaries to make lawyers and accountants seem interesting <laughs> And then I thought that was funny. And then I bumped into one of his coworkers and I told him that joke. And he said, I'm an actuary. I said, and I said, of course you are. <laughs> I said, it's not my joke. Talk to your buddy, Jeff. <laughs> so, so that, that didn't work out. I left after two and a half years or so, went to UBS. And at UBS, I was working for the head of group diversity. It was a really, a lot of responsibility. I was her number cruncher, her research analyst. And then left UBS after three years and went to Lehman Brothers. Between UBS and Lehman, I started business school at NYU as a part-time student. Finished in two and a half years. The inflection point that I believe happened in my career uh, was in 2008. I had just finished business school. I had just been let go by Lehman about six months before the company went under. And then a single family office, a family office of a gentleman by the name of Jeff Citron. They they, they found me and, and invited me to come interview for a job that they were trying to fill. Ultimately, they hired me to start an effort to build an investing team for the family office. I joined as a second employee. 
The first two years, interestingly, I spent working on two turnaround assignments. So there was a fine dining restaurant company that they had invested in and a private jet company that they owned. And as you can imagine, in 2008, those businesses were struggling. That was a great recession in 2008, 2009. Yeah. And so the job then, which was really fascinating, was helping the executives of those two companies survive that awful, awful economy, right? And it wasn't that there were no gimmicks. We had to work on keeping the operations lean and mean to to get us uh, uh, through that time. In 2011, the family office started an effort to build a venture fund. And so, you know, as the second employee when I joined, employee number three joined, we worked on the venture fund, continued doing that till 2018 when the family had a change of heart and, and decided not to continue with the venture fund. So I left. So I left in 2018. So when when and why did you get involved with Refashioned? What, and what hole did you guys see in the market? I, I think I mentioned that I met Lisa. I don't think I mentioned when we met, but, but, but I met Lisa in 2016. And when I met, I was, I was still at my old firm at KEC Ventures. And we were talking. And the the reason we met in the first place is because someone we both knew, an entrepreneur, a startup founder, realized that we were both talking about innovation and technology and supply chains and said, you guys should talk to one another. And so the insight we had was, number one, supply chains in whatever industry you think of all over the world are absolutely critical. They're foundational to the economy. Number two, some of the innovations and technology that we take for granted in IT have not yet been applied as extensively as they can be in, in supply chains. Number three, if you think about where things in the world are heading, an emphasis on how supply chain functions is going to keep increasing, right? The emphasis on how supply chains function is going to keep increasing. And part of it is because of consumer behavior. Part of it is because of increasing uh, geopolitical tensions. And some of it is also because of, of climate change and the implications that that has. I cracked the joke that we nailed the climate crisis. We nailed consumer behavior. We were too dumb to predict a pandemic. Oh. And we, were, we were too dumb to predict that Russia would invade Ukraine. And yeah. so and so my argument is, I think we still deserve a 98.5 out of 100. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you know what? If you go online, if you go online and look and type in Bill Gates' pandemic, he talked about a potential, the what a pandemic would do to the world's economy Many years before the pandemic, yeah, um, which just feeds conspiracy theorists. Theorists, say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, he's responsible. But what one other thing, and you start you started to touch on it. Eighty percent of the greenhouse gases comes from supply chains. Yes. So over time, we're going to be asked to do more, and that's why I always say, don't be surprised when, if you're a logistics company your retailer or manufacturers you're working with say, what are you doing about sustainability? Because we have a big push on it. And by the way, trucking is 5% of greenhouse gases. So you touch you touch on a great point because obviously one of the trends these days, especially if you're someone who reads um, the news about venture capital and whatnot, one of the 
most exciting trends is climate te uh, technology. So a lot of people are raising new funds to focus on climate technology. And the argument that we make is that, you know, the climate crisis and what happens in supply chains are opposite sides of the same coin, right? You, you, just, you, you, you just pointed out that 80% of greenhouse gas emissions occur somewhere in the supply chain. And so, yes, we need to create, you know, these new innovations that suck carbon dioxide out of the air and store it in the ground someplace. But we also need to invest in making the supply chains that we depend on much less harmful to to the to the environment and, and and so we we agree with you that investing in innovation and technology to make supply chains more more friendly to to the climate is 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 absolutely essential i did an interview not so long ago with the guys from remora and remora has a carbon capture for trucking and i noticed that saudi aramco has something same thing. Saudi Aramco is the biggest company on earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, I, 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 I make the argument that there isn't nearly enough capital being invested in innovation and in, in all these innovations, right? So whether it's Remora or what's happening at, at at Saudi Aramco or some of the other things that we are investing in, there just isn't enough ca capital devoted to those things yet. It, when we were prepping for this, or just blabbing, I should say. I mentioned that caring about the climate is kind of a rich person problem. My great-grandparents, my grandparents, maybe even my parents couldn't care less. I told my kids this, and it sounds so silly now, but there was a big push not to litter when I was in my in my early life, my when I was a young person. Signs were everywhere, don't litter. And and by the way, when you walk along the side of the road, you still see people littering. But I remember my mom and dad, we'd be driving down the road. And my dad said, throw that, get, throw those McDonald bags out of the car. <laughs> it a second thought. And I said, there was half as many people on the planet. And it just felt like we had infinite resources. Yep. And when smoke went up in the air or toxins went in the air, you're like, yeah, they just float up into space. And then the heaven, I guess, I don't know. They just go away. Yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. We now know <laughs> that that is a problem. Yeah. So it's awareness. You, you, you've touched on a great point. We, we published in October 2019, Lisa and I published a, uh, a blog post, which was titled, The World is a Supply Chain. And while we were publishing it, I was doing some research and one of the things that blew my mind, I didn't even know it till, till, till I did that research, is if you look at the evolution of the world's population from, let's call it the year zero to 1975 or so, and let's just say for the first 2,000 years, right, the number of people alive in the world from 2000 to 2050 is going to outstrip the number of people who lived from for the first two thousand, and so that 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 tells you. And I should have done a better job if I, if I'd known we'd be talking about right. this. I'd have looked up the numbers, but it clarifies just how much of a strain on the world's resources, population growth is going to put or has put yeah has put on the world it's, and and it's all between 2000 to 2000 right. but i think there's some positives in this too in that 
as we have more and more scientists are there's more scientists alive today, more engineers alive today, more people like yourself who are concerned about the problem than ever before. And I would also say, if you look at the population projections, it starts to go down in a, not so long, which is, and we have negative population growth in much of the, in much of the world. Of the world, yes. And actually it's interesting. I, I it's a horrible thing, but I heard a hundred thousand kids were taken from the Ukraine to Russia and put up for adoption. And Russia has a very low Popul- yes. population. population They're negative. They're negative population growth. Yeah. Anyway, let's switch gears here for a minute. So you started this company or was did, you, did Lisa already have the company going when you started, when you joined her? No, we, we launched we launched in 2000 and we, we actually launched in 2021 was when we launched. We, we started with what's called a rolling fund on AngelList and made our first investment in September of 2021. So what kind of companies do you invest in? And you can mention names if you want, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so so these are these are mostly early stage companies, so they're very young companies. Technology is, is central to what they do. And you know, typically when we invest in them, they're raising perhaps their first million dollars, their first 3 million dollars or so. So is that considered seed? That's that's pre-seed. That's pre-seed and, and seed. We have made a couple of, we've made some Series B investments, two Series B investments, and we've made two pre-Series A investments out of 15 in total. So Brian, give us an education. Just give us the bullet points. I know there's seed round and then there's A round, B round. Give Tell us what all that gibberish means that you guys made up to confuse us. <laughs> <laughs> to keep it simple... Think of seed capital as the capital that a company raises in order to get its product to market, to validate that there's a market that they're customers, right? And then A and B rounds is capital you raise to actually start bringing this product to market, right? You, you, you start the process of scaling. And then C rounds and beyond, typically not always, typically series C and beyond is really for, is really for growth. So you figured out your business model by that point. You know what the revenue model is going to be like, and you're really just investing in growing and growing the, the company. So my, is it fair to say that you as an early, early stage investor, you guys obviously taking more risk, but yes. you also potentially own 20% of the company before these guys at the end invest. <laughs> well, we are not yet at the point where we own that much of the company. But yes, early stage investors. You have are, a bigger chunk. Yes, yes. Typically have a bigger chunk of, 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 the, of the company. But you took a bigger risk. Yes, yes. That's, that's a fair way to think about it. So what kind of companies, supply chain companies? Tech, tech companies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tech companies. You know, so the very first investment we made was in a company called Autonomy. Autonomy is a parametric insurance company. Their initial product is focused, is focused on cargo insurance. And so think if you are exporting or importing some cargo and you want to protect yourself in case there's a delay of some sort. Let's say the flight the cargo was supposed to go out on is delayed by six hours or 12 hours, right? This might 
might have a negative impact on your business if it happens. And so they make it very easy for uh, for you to purchase some extra ins- insurance. Very nice. Another one, a, a more late stage uh, company is a company called Natural Fiber Welding. And that, that was a Series B investment. And what natural fiber welding does is uh, the the founder is a chemist, and he's trying to f- he's figured out a way to replace synthetic plastics with plant based, with plant based alternatives. So if if that is if that is successful, it will it will reduce it will greatly reduce the need for polyester in a lot of the products that yeah we and. Have. and, and- and that's what we're looking for. I mean, we're looking, I mean, I think if you were to go 20 years ago and say to clothing manufacturer, even automotive manufacturers, this will reduce your carbon footprint and it it's costs a little more or neutral. I don't even think they would care. Yeah. Now their consumers are asking, their customers are asking. So yes, I had Matt McClellan on my podcast from Covenant Trucking and he is innovation and sustainability there. Yeah. And he said he went to their top 10 customers. It's a big trucking company. And he said their top 10 customers, which are all very good-sized firms, all of them said, we have sustainability initiatives. And yeah, we want you to be more sustainable. So it's this, I don't think we hear it day-to-day as logistics and supply trucking, and but we're going to start hearing it more and more. Yeah, what one of the companies we invested in? That's another. That's one of the two Series B investments we made. Is a company called Leaf Logistics, and and what I find interesting about the the way that Leaf is thinking about their innovation is, what if we could enable companies that consume transportation services to manage their consumption of those services in much the same way as investors manage a portfolio on a, on a stock exchange, right? So you become a member of the platform and you can easily trade capacity with other members of the platform, right? So if, if you have a truck, if you have a, a load in Florida and you need it shipped to, to Massachusetts, you don't need to send your truck to Florida to pick it up and bring it back up because maybe one of those legs is going to be is going to be is going to be an empty trip, right? You can simply trade with someone else on the platform right. who needs uh, uh, capacity in the opposite direction. But the the the, the real the, the innovation there is not that you couldn't do this with you know phone calls and emails right. and whatnot. But it was is manual, that, wasn't good. Is <laughs> that you can do this all automatically on the platform? Right. I know we are doing much better on empty miles. And by the way, empty miles is a perfect thing to measure because it's not a it's not a risk. Empty miles costs reduces our income anyway, so we don't want them. But it's also bad for the environment. It's bad for everybody. So, but it, what's shocking to me, and I, I've only come to realize this in the last six months from doing my podcast, how many shipping containers we ship empty. Empty, yeah. I think it's some, 70, 80% of the containers that leaving Port of Long Beach and Port of LA are empty. Yeah. And they're going back to China to be filled with consumer goods that we consume. And what's crazy is we had, from what I understand, reduced agricultural exports because we were shipping empty containers to China. Containers are becoming more and more of a concern for everybody. And we should concern ourselves more and more with the empty miles related to that. 
Yes. Sque- squeezing out the efficiencies, squeezing out the inefficiencies in supply chains is a big, a big issue. Yep. And by the way, we, for the most part, a lot of the things we're trying to do, which is fill up that truck so it's completely, it's not two thirds full, completely full. That makes us more money. It also reduces the carbon footprint. Footprint, yes. So we're all happy to do that. So talk a little bit about some of the inflection points that you guys have had in since you've started the business. And what what year did you guys open your doors again? In uh, 2021. So it was it was July 2021. We got the fund. We got the fund off the ground. The inflection point for us was really getting Ben's uh, commitment. Ben Ben Gordon of Cambridge Capital was the first person to commit to refashioned ventures. And he said, yep, count me in. You can tell other people that I'm in. So he came in as an investor? As, as an investor in the fund, yes. And and once once we could say to other people that Ben that Ben was in as an investor, then then other commitments started. started well, if, if that's the way it works, then I'll just say this. Ben is also the founder of the Logistics Coalition that is help, yes. helping, <laughs> trying to help the people of Ukraine survive this horrible invasion. And please, if you're at all interested, uh, just type it in uh, or reach out to me or Brian or Ben Gordon from Cambridge Capital because uh, we have a desperate need. And what Ben would say if he was here was that who better to solve this humanitarian problem than people in the logistics and supply chain world? This is what we do. So it's exactly the sort of scenario in which the the superpowers of what happens in the supply chain can be put on display for everyone to to, to see. Right? It's connecting. It's connecting need with supply. Yes. Right. right? People who need something desperately with people who have who have uh, uh, supplies that uh, that can meet those needs. And that's what... I think what we also recognize, and we talked about this before we hit record, is that there very likely is going to be famines as a result of this conflict. Exactly. And these are the... The Ukraine, I think they call it the breadbasket of Europe. Of Europe. I know Russia is an exporter of grain. Yes. These countries are not going to export grain, but others of our countries around the world are already saying we won't be exporting grain. People across the world are going to go hungry and many other problems. And when, by the way, when people go hungry, there's wars. You know, I, I've been saying to some friends of mine that sometimes, and, and this is especially true of us who live in the West, right? You hear that in Liberia, a government collapsed because there was a shortage of rice. I say, oh, that's so silly. How could a government collapse because there was a shortage of rice? You know, but think about it. The most important function of a government is to ensure that people can live an acceptable life. And the way you ensure people can live can live an acceptable life is by ensuring that the supply chains that society depends on are working generally satisfactorily. People are satisfied with, and I think we got a taste of it. You know, when when President Joe Biden had to go on TV at Christmas and reassure everyone that Christmas presents would be underneath Christmas trees, right? So yes, the the stress that's going to be put on supply chains are coming out of the pandemic and this. So I think that coalition that you're part of and that uh, many others are part of is we formed it, Ben formed it with the idea of let's get everybody in the logistics and supply chain community working together to solve this problem, but then recognizing that 
once we build this organization, there's going to be other humanitarian crises. So, so it's, and, and I think he looked around to see what other solutions there were out there and was surprised to find out there wasn't the technologies and the infrastructure and the organization to address these things. So going forward, I think it's an, I think it's exciting. This is an opportunity for us to, to your point, show off some of our superpowers. Yes. So get involved. So let's get back to refashioned. Um, so what are some of the lessons you've learned? I know you guys have been around for a little bit and uh, you've made some investments. What are some of the lessons you've learned along the way about what it takes to be, well, not, not just what your investments, but what does it take to be successful as one of those early stage startups? Give us the formula so we can all write it down and then we can all do it. <laughs> and then we can, then we can all. <laughs> and yeah. then we'll, we'll reach out to you and say, Brian, you know what I've done? I followed your six step, your six step framework. And now I want money. You know, I, I do not know if there is, right. We, we, we've been in business for such a short time that I, I do not know if I can say. But this isn't your first rodeo. You've been doing other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the startups that succeed, as far as I can tell, really focus on solving the problem that their customers so, so so it's 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 an obsession with solving the problem and an obsession with their customers yeah right those two things if you can nail those two things everything else will will follow right by the way brian one of the things I, i've i've heard this this isn't the first time but when i was selling logistic services i would ask some of my existing customers why do you like us what why did you pick us you had all these choices what do, what do we do different and better and they would say things like this well, you always um, pick up our stuff on time and drop it off. And if you don't, you call me. Yeah. And I and the problem I had was I felt like it was not actionable. <laughs> and that's sometimes the problem. So, you know, if you ask customers, sometimes they just don't give you the 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 right insights. That's it's very superficial. And I'm sometimes I wonder, did you just buy because we showed up and you were unhappy with your last three PL? Well, maybe it sounds superficial, but when you think about it, it isn't, right? If your competitor is not obsessed with ensuring that whatever delivery they're expecting gets there on time, and in those instances when the delivery is not going to get there on time, is obsessed with ensuring that they have advance notice, right, that there's something, that, that there's something going on. To me, that sounds about as actionable as it can get. But I think in a lot of ways, it's going beyond. You have to know the customer so well that yes, that you can say, I think they'll really like this technology. Then maybe bounce it off them because um, I say, said this before. In automotive, nobody asked nobody asked for the Mustang, but they saw a youth market that was growing. So they Ford created the Mustang. Chrysler created the minivan. And they just knew the customer so well. And they said, you know, there's a lot of moms and dads driving around with a car full of kids and groceries and a dog, and they're going to soccer games. And they created this, this minivan. And I think Steve Jobs is kind of famous for saying, nobody asked for this. Yes. But I, but I know them so well, I know they'll love it. <laughs> right. And so when we, are, when we are thinking, when we are talking to founders and we're thinking about who do we invest in versus who do we, we're looking for someone who is so obsessed with the problem that they have an insight of that nature, right? That they have an insight that would not be obvious 
if you weren't obsessed with who's the customer, what's the problem, how do I solve it in a way that makes sense, even if that is not as obvious as one would expect it. Right. That's it's interesting. I've been having on my computer. Hang on just a second. I got my laptop here. Uh, I've got um, for my screensaver right now. It says, "What we dwell on is who we become." Oprah Winfrey. Yep. And I just think again, what we dwell on is who we become. So if you say, "I want to be," I want to solve this problem. You become obsessive about it. You don't skim across the surface. You'll weed those guys out. The guys who are just put together a really wonderful forty slides for you. You go, yeah, but you don't know the customer. <laughs> you have to do. It has to be someone who's who's dwelt on. Oprah said on so. The problem. Yes. Yeah. You don't. If you don't believe Brian, believe Oprah. <laughs> if you don't believe me, believe Oprah. <laughs> she, yeah. she she's a millionaire, you know. <laughs> and generally, I've found that if you right, if if you do those two things, the rest, the rest. There, there are all sorts of other things, right? There are more more tactical pieces of of advice that one could give. But if you really dwell on solving the problem for your customer, dwell on those two things. The the rest typically takes care of itself. And this is an interesting time because, you know, when when I first met Lisa in 2016 and we're talking about this, if you went to anyone and said, you know, supply chain technology is an area worth investing in, you know, you'd get laughed out of the room. We got laughed out of the room. My, my, my shirt says the New York supply chain meetup and people thought it was a very, it was a terrible, it was a terrible idea. Oh, what is that? I noticed that on your LinkedIn profile. Tell me about that while we're talking. <laughs> So the New York Supply Chain Meetup is a grassroots, it's a grassroots community, and the idea to start it actually came from, you know, dwelling on thinking about supply chains and technology and innovation. And what I realized was that, uh, what Lisa and I realized is that when we were talking to startup founders, typically they understand the technology and the innovation they want to bring to market they don't understand the industry as well as they need to. And then when we were talking to industry executives, the people who presumably would be buying these innovations or using them, they understood the industry and the problems in the industry. They don't understand, you know, they don't, they don't really know the, the ins and outs of machine learning or blockchain or edge computing. All those words don't really mean. And so we said, let's start a let's start an opt-in community, grassroots driven. And we our job is to bring these two groups of people together, enable them to have conversations and see what we need those hybrids. Happens. Yes, yes, yes. And you know what what you just described there is the world has changed so much in my career. And one of the things I've always feel like is uh, when I was young, when I was in my 20s, I went to meetings where people used acronyms and and I never felt empowered or, or comfortable enough in myself to say, hey, what the hell are you guys talking about? I have no idea what's going on here. What does this mean? What does that mean? And I, I know people listen to my podcast and I, my assumption always was young people would listen because they could learn about the industry because I liked the things to be broken down. But now I, what, what occurs to me now is how many silos we have in our industry. So we have the, you could be a warehousing expert and know nothing about freight forwarding or a freight forwarding guy who knows nothing about over the road trucking. And we have, we all serving the same supply chains. And I think we need to become more of those experts who have kind of that cross-functional knowledge and 
You raise a very interesting point, which I sometimes get to talk about, but not always. So Lisa and I don't have professional experience in the industry. We do not have, we didn't like, I don't have a PhD in supply chain uh, management. Oh, you don't? What am I talking <laughs> to you, man? And neither, and neither <laughs> does Lisa. But 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 you remember this this cartoon strip? I don't know if you've seen it, and I might not be describing it completely accurately. But it's there's an elephant laying on the ground, and there are a number of blind men, and someone's touching the trunk, and he right. thinks it's a snake. Someone someone's touching the tail, he thinks it's a snake. Someone's touching the trunk, he thinks he thinks it's something else. Someone's rubbing the back, he thinks it's something else. Someone's touching the foot, one of its feet, he thinks it's something else. Right? We're coming from different perspectives, from different, different viewpoints. Yeah, and I think the advantage that Lisa and I have is. We're looking at the entire. We're looking at the entire thing from end outside. End. And we're like, no, it's an elephant, guys. It's right. an, it's an elephant. It's it's not it's not a snake. It's not this other thing. It's 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 an elephant. Yep. So Brian, I want to wrap this bad boy up. I know I got to get you off to your next meeting. So, but before we go. Who do you work with? Who's your sweet spot? So I, I think you have two customers, if I'm not mistaken. You talk to investors of one of yours, and I, do you look? I'm sure you look at the people you give money to. You're you're an owner, but at the same time, uh, you're serving them. So who's your sweet spot? Who do you work with? So in terms of investors, so these are uh, these are accredited investors. Uh, so they're people that the and what do you mean by that? Uh, they are people that the SEC deems are sophisticated enough to invest in venture capital and that other would not be me. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 there's a definition online if people are curious. And that's a really a protection because they don't want yes uh, naive people to say, yeah, I put my retirement money in Brian's hands, and it was much more risky than I anticipated. Or that's a protection. Although there's a move, there's a move afoot to change, to change that. But but that's one group of people. And then on the on the founder side, you know, like I said, our sweet spot is people at the pre-seed or seed stage. And so they're raising their first, you know, million dollars or so. It might be five hundred thousand, might be it might be a million dollars, maybe two. Those are the ideal the ideal. And on the founder side, it has to be something that has to do with supply chain. And so, for example, this morning, someone emailed me, what she's doing sounds phenomenal, but it has to do with artificial intelligence for marketing. And as much as what she does sounds phenomenal, and she seems like a great founder, it doesn't, that's not, that's not in our thesis. Yeah. Well, it would seem that with your insights, you could give pretty good advice to your founders too. That's what we strive to do. And if it's if it's a situation in which Lisa, uh, neither Lisa nor I is is capable of giving them good advice through our network, we can help them find someone who can give them good advice. Uh, someone described us once as the most connected, as the most connected people in supply chain they know. So, so we can usually ha- help them find. Well, I found you on LinkedIn and we've been connected for a while and you are a very good follow. So anybody who's not already following Brian or connected to Brian, you want to follow him. And I would also like to connect with Lisa. And so, so for, I know people looking for, funding they're they're desperate sometimes they're like i talk i've I've talked to people they said i talked to over 100 
yep. investors before I got money. But I also know that companies they don't want to they don't want to get take money from people that they don't feel comfortable with. So what makes you guys different and better when it comes to you know helping somebody grow their business? Uh, supply chain is 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 what we're uh, we're obsessed with, right? So we describe ourselves as obsessively enthusiastic about early stage technology and innovation in the supply chain. And so often when we meet founders and we're talking, it takes them a while to realize that we already understand a good chunk of what they're doing. Right. And so the, you you can you you don't need to persuade me that what you're doing matters. You don't need to educate me about trucking. You don't need to explain what drayage is. You don't need to explain what a freight forwarder does. Right. Let's get let's get straight to the heart of why you're doing what you're doing <laughs> and why it matters, right? Uh, uh, and so that's that's us. That that's what makes you different and better is your focus. It's what you dwell on. Yes, it's what we dwell on. Exactly. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. So before you go, what conferences are you going to be at in the coming year? I haven't been to conferences in a while, and and I don't know if I'll be attending any in the coming year. But my favorite ones are TPM by JOC, uh, Freight Waves. Any conference that of freight course. waves, any conference that freight waves is organizing is worth is worth going to. I wrote for freight waves for two years. Oh, um, they're the best. I I think I have somebody on freight waves up on my podcast once a month. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So those would be the two that I that I recommend. Like I said, conferences are not really. Yeah, yeah. I don't go to a lot because I get to talk to people like you all week. But I was yes, yesterday I was talking to my good friend Charlie Dahoney, and he's and I said I'm going to go to Manifest, and they were on my podcast, and he said Joe, that was the best. Po-. He goes, it was their first, and he goes, but it was the best conference I went to last year, which is which is saying a lot because to your point, freight waves really knocks the 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 cover off the ball. So anyway, Brian, thank you so much. It was wonderful to finally meet and interview you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.